look carefully, then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. For better or worse, Christians represent Christianity. For better and worse. For some reason, we don't put our best and brightest on the television. When you see a Christian on TV, chances are that's either a smooth-talking evangelist looking for your grandmother's money, or it is some vile, arrogant, conniving villain in a sitcom. Why is it that Christians can never be the good guys? They're always these self-righteous bad guys when you see them in the scripture. When you see them in the scriptures? When you see also in the scriptures. Yeah. When you see them on TV, but also in the scriptures, we're vile, conniving bad guys, uh, sinful, uh, the, the chief of sinners right here. How many of our friends have rejected Christianity? Not because they examined the evidence and found it wanting, but because they know other Christians and their life did not represent the type of life that they would like to live. But friends, you cannot disprove Christianity by saying that Christians are terrible people because we know that we're terrible people. That's why we're Christians. That's why we need the grace of God is because we are not people that live up to who he is. Christianity is awesome for that reason. We believe that anyone can become a Christian. It's not a club for moral elites. It's a hospital for sinners. Jesus himself, friend of sinner. Maybe you're here today and you feel like you do not measure up. You compare yourself to the ones around you and you say, I am nothing like these people. They have got their act together. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is a friend of sinners. That he delights to take those who are his enemies and make them into his representatives. It's a good news that we have in the gospel that we do not have our, our, our lives put together, but we need him to put us together. Church, we must be careful how we live because we represent God. And he loves to take sinners and turn them into representatives, but the process of the Christian life must be a turning from your former way of life and a turning toward following after Christ and understanding him. This is what we've been studying in the past several weeks, and I know it's been a couple of weeks, so let me give you a little bit of a recap. Last week, we said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We're called to imitate God. And when you imitate God as beloved children, you represent God. I have three kids, and for better or worse, those kids represent me. And sometimes they do things, and I say, oh boy, <laughs> you're representing me a little bit too accurately here, and it's embarrassing. 
And sometimes they do things and they represent me quite well. And I just swell with pride and there's no way that I can fight that back. Our children represent us. And so we're called to represent God and imitate him as beloved children. But then he continues on and he says in in verse, verse 11 of chapter five, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And so as God's children, we're walking this progressive life of turning from our old ways of life and following after him, repenting of those things, discovering those things more. And really, the the longer that you're a Christian, the more you realize it's not really the less sinful you become, but the more you realize how sinful you actually are. Because there's just so much more to uncover the longer that you are a Christian, the more you love Jesus, the closer to Jesus you become, the more unpure you see yourself. Which is why when Isaiah is encountered with the face of God, how does he respond? Like, oh, awesome, this is great. No, he says, woe is me, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. I'm not worthy to stand before God. And so the closer to God we come, the more, the more we realize of our unworthiness. But Jesus loves to take us and not withdraw us from the world, which is what many Christians do. They, they say, okay, well, if that stuff's going to bring me down, I must withdraw myself from the world and live this completely alternative lifestyle that's more Christianese over here. No, we don't live a withdrawn life. No, we live a life where the world is withdrawn from us, and we represent Jesus in the world. And so I want to talk about this idea that Jesus takes sinners and turns them into representatives. And three different points here as we walk through our passage in Ephesians chapter 5. And the first point is representatives of God live wisely. Second, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And third, they participate in the life of the church. They live wisely. They're, feel, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they participate in the life of the church. Let's walk through this. Point number one, representatives of God live wisely. Verse 15, it says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. We have this language again of of walking. When you see the scriptures talk about the Christian walk, they're saying that this is how you live all the time, what your life looks like, because you walk all the time. It's not something that you merely do sometimes, but it's an intentional walk. What Christianity is not is a a ride, a float down a lazy river of sanctification. Many of us treat Christianity like that. Like, I'm going to hop on the Jesus raft, and I'm going to go wherever it takes me, but I'm just going to lead the life of the least resistance. Friends, Christianity is joy-filled. It's worshipful, it's amazing, but one thing it is not is easy. Jesus tells us himself that many will take the wide road, but the road of following him is narrow, bumpy, hard, challenging, amen? It's not easy. But many times we treat Jesus less like this thing that we have to intentionally walk down to follow him, and more like a raft on the lazy river, taking us wherever life might take us, taking us wherever our desires, our world, might offer us opportunity. 
No, we have to be careful how we walk, not just passive. There's no such thing as part-time Christianity. It's not a weekend activity. It's not something you do like playing on a sports team. Jesus tells us that we do this all the time. We are representatives of God, so we represent him all the time. We can't take the hat off. Friends, I know these are some challenging questions, but let me ask you, how are you representing God? Not only at church on Sundays, but at work during the week, at school, in the early morning hours when your kids wake you up far earlier than you should, when you're alone in the evening with nothing but Netflix or your computer, how are you representing God when you're at a party? How are you representing God in traffic when you're disrespected? How are you representing God in the afternoon with your kids or with your non-Christian friends? You represent God at all times. And so all of your life must be examined through that especially with those who you most love. Oftentimes we feel so comfortable with our own family that we forget about representing God to them. This is convicting for me. But we represent Christ in all of our interactions, friends. Paul tells us to look carefully how we walk, not as wise, not as the unwise, but as wise. What does it mean to live wisely? He continues and he tells us in verse 16, a little bit of what he means by this. He says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, what does he mean when he says that the days are evil? That's an odd statement, is it not? What he means by that is that if you were to treat your Christian life as a passive walk, as just a walk through the park, if you were to treat your Christian life as a float down the lazy river, that where it would take you would not be heaven, but would be hell. Because the days are evil. That means there's going to be resistance to your Christian life. That means that the worries and the cares of this world will carry you away if you do not fight against them with your faith, making God first in all things. means that you must be actively watching where you walk. What does floating along look like? What does giving in to the days of evil look like? Well, it could look like really passive life, really passive faith. Some people, they just passively do whatever sounds good. They lack ambition and direction. And so they waste their time playing video games, eating Doritos, whatever it might be. It sounds delightful for a day, but doing that for a life would be wasting it. When you think of wasting your life, that's generally what you think about. But there's another way to waste your life because making the best use of your time is not the same thing as seizing the day. You know, making the best use of our time is not the same thing as being productive because you can get a lot of things done, but they're only in worldly wisdom, worldly support, worldly success. You can be a very productive person and be wasting your life. Being wise in how you spend your time does not always look like productivity. It is not productive for you to sit and open your scriptures. It's certainly not productive, does not feel productive to pray to the Lord, to seek him in the quiet places. It does not feel productive 
to care for the poor and to visit the old or the sick. It does not feel productive to put aside whatever you're doing at that moment and play dolls with a child. Productivity does not equal making the best use of your time. Now, there is some productivity to it. You can't just be lazy. But you must see your time not as your own, but as the Lord's. That means you don't just do what that day wants you to do, because the days are evil, but you do what the Lord wants you to do. And so you evaluate your life within this framework of what does God want for me? Church, you can waste your life with Netflix and social media and video games. Or you can waste your life pursuing worldly success and making a high-dollar salary. One life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Verse 17 says this, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so he equates foolishness with the person who does not understand what the will of the Lord is. If you live your life for yourself or for the world and passively being pushed around by whatever you're desiring at that moment, you're not living for the will of the Lord. Wisdom means that you can discern what is the best use of your time and your efforts, and you can focus your energy on those things. Church, Satan wants to distract you. And we must fight, look carefully how we walk so that we can live as the wise and not as the unwise. So examine your life. Examine the past week. Examine the past day. Because this is like one of those quotes that haunts me at all times. But Annie Dillard says, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. So we must examine our life carefully. Now, the second thing about being a representative of God is that representatives of God are filled with the Holy Spirit. Representatives of God are filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, he continues after verse 17. We just finished, but verse 18, he says this, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There's a lot here. What does it mean to be filled by the Spirit? When I think of that term, be filled with the Spirit, the first thing that I think of are the charismatic gifts of the Spirit. I think about speaking in tongues. I think about prophecies. I think about healings. I think about all that sort of thing. And while I do believe that those things happen today, I believe that the gifts of the Spirit are active and moving in God's church. I don't think that's what he's talking about right here. Because this is the phrase that pops up many times throughout the Scriptures, and it's usually not connected with the gifts of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 6, they're looking for deacons. And they say, well, what should we do? They said, pick out among you seven men of good, good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to the, this duty. It says nothing about the gifts of the spirit. It just says full of the spirit and of wisdom. Do you see how wisdom and the spirit are connected there? This isn't the only time that they're connected. They're connected throughout the, throughout the scripture. For you to be a wise person is to be a wise a person who's full of the spirit. There's also this other sense of what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? There is a sense, and you might be thinking this, that all Christians have the Holy Spirit. And that's 100% true. When we trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit fills us. 
We are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. He is a comforter. He is an advocate. He is someone who cares for us. We have this gift of the Holy Spirit as Christians. But again, this term, be full of the Holy Spirit, it seems like there is a sense in which there are times when we can be more full of the Spirit and less full of the Spirit. Because they're looking for these men, these deacons that are full of the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't it just be easier to say, find Christians? No, there's, a, there's a, a way to be more full of the Holy Spirit as a believer. Acts 4.8, again, the same type of thing happens. Paul, uh, or Peter, is giving a, a, a talk, and he, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, and he continues with the speech. Now, was Peter not full of the Holy Spirit before that? No, he was given a special fill being full of the Holy Spirit. So for us as Christians, what does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And I think the key to understanding what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to understand it in this context. Because what does he say? What does he compare it to? He says, do not be drunk. I've, I've actually heard this phrase before where uh, I've heard that Russians call being full the whole being being uh, drunk being full and uh i i texted a russian friend of mine and said is that true do russians call being drunk full uh because there's this passage that says like don't be filled with wine and she was like yeah that is a phrase for being drunk be full but no russian would be filled with wine it's far too weak (laughs) i thought that was pretty good This context of being filled with the Spirit is compared with being drunk, being filled with wine. It's not the only time that this happens in Scripture. In in Acts 2, when they first received the Holy Spirit as a gift from God, people stood up and they mocked and they said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed the men of Judah, Judea. And all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since this only the third hour of the day. Peter's like, it's five o'clock somewhere, but not here. All right. We're not drinking yet. It's too early. And so there's something else going on here. Now, let's talk about alcohol for just a minute because he's talking about being drunk. The scriptures never prohibit the use of alcohol. Never. Uh, In fact, the alcohol is seen as a gift from the Lord in the scriptures. In Psalm um, 104, it says that wine is a gift from God to gladden the heart of man. We also know that Jesus drank wine throughout his ministry, that when the wine ran out at the party, what did he do? He made more. (laughs) He, He did drink. In fact, with communion, this, this idea of grape juice being communion, this is why we normally offer uh, wine or juice, whichever your conscience permits. And I think it's, and I'll get into that more in a second. But um, the Welch's grape juice was founded in 1869 as an alternative to wine being used in communion. It was founded for that purpose, for Christians. It's just kind of funny. But alcohol, just like any good gift from God, becomes evil when it is misused and abused. Alcohol is a gift, but being drunk is a sin. And I can speak uh, from personal experience in in this context, not that I've personally been drunk, but that I grew up with drunks in my home. Uh, 
Uh, my father was a drunk until the day he died. Uh, my mother had, had a, a boyfriend that lived with us from the time I was seven until I was 21 who was a drunk. And I have a ton of stories that I used to find really funny about drunk people because I had a lot of them growing up around me. Um, and the older I get, the less often I tell those stories because the less funny they seem, the more sad they become. Alcohol has the power to wreck lives. And here's the thing with alcohol is you don't know when you're in that life-wrecking spot. And this is the thing that they teach you in AA all the time until you hit rock bottom. AA isn't for people who were like, I was drinking a little bit and then I thought I might have a problem. No, it's, it's people who hit rock bottom. And in fact, it's, it, that's like one of the tenets of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. And so friends, let me, let me tell you this. If you're in the clutches of alcoholism and drunkenness, if this has got control over your life, there is so much help to be found. I would love to get you connected with, with people in our church who no longer drink alcohol because they cannot, it, it takes control over them and who have seen freedom over that. I'd love to help you with that. But here's the other tricky thing. Like I said, you don't know it until you hit rock bottom. And so this descent into being controlled by alcohol is often a slow descent. And so I just encourage you to examine your life. Am I being controlled by this thing? Because what Paul tells us to do is to not be drunk, do not be filled with wine, but be full of the Spirit. And as I've read this and meditated on this, it's caused me to reevaluate my own relationship with alcohol. Which I, I've, as far as I know, I've never been drunk. But I, I, I allow it to gladden my heart. But I can't depend upon it in that way. Why does he compare being drunk with wine with being filled with the Spirit? And I think you have to think about why someone might be drunk. Why does someone get drunk? Here's the primary reason people drink at all. It's because they want to feel happy. Because alcohol has this effect in us that gives us joy. There's a, it gladdens the heart of man. It's a gift from God that does that. We want to feel happy, so we drink. But here is where the problem kicks in, is that only lasts for a temporary moment. And once people see that last for a moment, they want it to last longer or they want it to feel stronger, so they drink more and more until they're suddenly on Instagram with the tag, drunk people doing things. And they're making a fool of themselves. Because you might drink to avoid your problems, but when you get done drinking, your problems are still there. And so why does he compare being drunk with being filled with the Spirit? It's because when you're filled with the Spirit, you take delight in God. You are joyful to experience the Trinity himself. You're filled with joy. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, is I have an unusual, amazing being, presence of being filled with God. That is, that is what it means here. I love the way that Michael Reeves says this in his fantastic book, The Lighting in the Trinity. He says this, the Christian life is about so much more than getting heaven. The Spirit is about drawing us into the divine life. The Father has eternally delighting, the Father is eternally delighting in the Son through the Spirit, and the Son and the Father, and the Spirit's work in giving us new life then is nothing less than bringing us in to share in their mutual delight. 
How amazing is that? When we are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit is bringing us in to share in the delight that the Father has for the Son and that the Son has with the Father. We share in the delight of the Trinity. And so be filled with the Spirit, my friends, so that you might receive that kind of joy. Jesus tells a story of a young man who received this joy. In Luke chapter 15, there was a man who asked his father for his entire inheritance. You might be familiar with the story. It's the parable of the prodigal son. And he went out and he spent his inheritance in the ways of the world. He spent his life not being careful how he was walking, but instead wasting his time. And in fact, what it says is that he spent his life, he squandered his inheritance on riotous living. Now this word for riotous in uh, Luke 15, it's the same word that we have here in Ephesians when he says, for that is debauchery. Do not be filled with wine. Do not get drunk. For that is debauchery. That's the same word that he uses for the prodigal of the, 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 uh, the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. But then that man hits rock bottom and he comes back to his father and he expects his father to merely be holding out a little bit to to say, maybe he'll let me be a hired hand. But instead his father is standing there looking for him, waiting for him. When he sees him, he has open arms. He rejoices. He kills the fattened calf and he puts a ring on his finger and he says, son, all I have is yours. You see, he didn't deserve any of that. He squandered his life. But Jesus takes people who squander their lives and he gives them everything he has. Friends, don't wait until you hit that rock bottom. Come back to the Lord today and be filled with the joy of what it means to have all that is his. That's what he's calling us to, to enjoy the pleasures of the Trinity. And the best way that you can enjoy the pleasures of the Trinity, and this is what he gets into here, is by enjoying community. This is one of the ways that we reflect God. So God, throughout eternity past, has dwelled in community among the the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dwelling in community. And so when we dwell in community together as God's church, we are representing God dwelling in community among the the, uh, three persons of the Trinity throughout eternity. That's why the church is so important. And that's why, Paul starts talking about what he talks about next. When he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, what's the best way to do that? Well, we delight in what God has done for us personally, but then we represent it by the way that we love one another. And so the third point here is that representatives of God participate in the life of the church. And quickly, I'm going to run through what he has here for us. Because he has four essentials to representing God in our relationships within the church. And the first essential is this, that we sing songs to one another. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When we sing, this might be a little different to you, but when we sing, it's not just to Jesus that we sing, but we sing to one another. I I had a very profound experience one time when this was true, and I came into a church gathering, and the first song that we started singing was, Be Still My Soul. And at that time in my life, I I had a very restless soul. I was dealing with some issues personally. And I just remember sitting down and listening to the saints of God saying, be still my soul, the Lord is on your side. And to hear everybody's faith magnified in that room filled my soul with the stillness that I so desired. 
It was through hearing the voices of the people of God, not just the worship leader, but the whole people of God, when my soul was brought the relief that I longed for. And I had this emotional moment. Friends, this is one of the reasons why we've prioritized getting back to in-person church from the very beginning. We were one of the first churches to get back to in-person church. And we want to take coronavirus very seriously, and we have taken it very seriously. My wife, for, for goodness sake, she's a public health student at BU. We take the coronavirus very seriously. But when you don't have the voices of God's saints encouraging you, you're missing something very important. We need each other's voices when we sing. We need to hear from one another. We need to represent God in the way that we love one another, that we speak the truth to one another. You can't do that on a live stream. And the second thing that we have is we sing, God, sing to God with our whole hearts. Continuing verse 19, he says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your whole heart. So we sing to the Lord with our whole heart, but also to one another. So there's two audiences of worship, to the Lord and to one another. And I would even say that two outsiders might even be one, because as someone walks by, I can, I can show you the stories of people who've walked by churches and heard people singing and were drawn into it. There's all these reasons to sing. The third way that we represent God as we participate in the life of the church is we give thanks to God at all times. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, we submit to one another. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're representing God, you don't walk around boastful, trying to one-up everyone else, but you set your mind and your heart on the one who had every reason to be worshiped, had every reason to be lifted up, and yet he came as a lowly, humble servant. And he gave up his life for the good of all, for his enemies. He laid down his life on the cross and bore the wrath that we deserve. And he was, vic he was raised victoriously from the grave. And as we trust in him, we follow in his footsteps, not lifting ourselves up, but humbly submitting to one another. We humbly submit to one another. We're not power-hungry egomaniacs. We're people who want to submit to one another and joyfully honor one another in that kind of way, just as the persons of the Trinity submit to one another. We want to submit to one another as God's family in the church. So we lay down our lives for one another because we represent him. Where Paul goes from here are some fun times, okay? So the next few weeks, you don't want to miss. We've got some fun passages coming up. He talks about wives and husbands. That's going to be a, a delightful one. Um, we're going to spend two weeks doing that one because there's a lot to talk about there. He talks about children and parents, and then he talks about slavery uh, before we get into the armor of God. So that's where we're going, and I would recommend that you be here. We, we'd, we'd love to explore these things together. Each week, we participate in a sacred meal where we eat a small portion of bread and drink a portion of juice to remember what Christ has done for us. And one of the things about this meal is that the world drinks to forget. Forget their problems, 
to forget the things that are going on in life. But we drink to remember. We remember what God has done for us. And we're made full of the Spirit because of his work on our behalf. Father, we thank you for this meal and we thank you for your word. And we pray that you will fill us now with your Holy Spirit. Help us to represent you. God, may the Trinity shine brightly through each of us. May our relationships represent you well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.